0: We would turn in the Bible to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, the second to last book of the Old Testament, second to last minor prophet. And today we're going to finish up this book, leaving us with one more until we are done with this series of the minor prophets. We're going to begin today at Zechariah chapter 12. I was born in 1979, born in the 70s, if you can believe it. It means I'm getting up there. In later of this year, I will turn 40 years old. I was born on December the 23rd, which means I was only alive for eight days in the 70s. So take that for what it's worth. But that means I grew up in the 80s. And the 80s was such a good time to grow up. I can remember being a kid and all the fun things that we were into, technology had advanced quite a bit, so it was a, there were always new things going on, but we weren't slaves to technology in the 80s like we are now, so we still played outside and did lots of things like that, and just a good time to be growing up. But I remember being a kid, there was always talk or wonder or fascination of what it would be like when the millennium turned. What's it gonna be like when we hit 2000? Can you imagine? I remember watching the Jetsons. Some of y'all know what the Jetsons are. And I remember watching the Jetsons and thinking, we're probably gonna have flying cars by the year 2000. I wonder if we will. And we used to talk like that and act like that all the time. We wondered what it would be like. And then I remember, like, as I started getting into high school, mid-90s, we started wondering about this, uh, well, how bad could this turn of the Millennium B, when we hit 2000. And there was this craze, maybe a big deal, called Y2K that y'all may remember, where we kind of thought that something bad may happen when all of the computers turned from 1999 to 2000, and they reset. And the thinking on that was, when computers were originally started, the year was just a two-digit number to save some space. So instead of putting 1999, they just put 99. And then I'm not really sure who started this craze, but somebody thought, "Uh uh-oh, when it rotates over from 99 to 00, this might set us back to 1900 or something that it's not familiar with and it not know that it's 2000. And what if every computer in the world shuts down? And there was some concern about that. And it was the biggest letdown ever, very anticlimactic, nothing happened. We just kept rolling right along. We're still nowhere near flying cars, and we're 20 years past 2000. But I remember being a kid and just thinking like, man, when that day comes, I wonder what it's going to be like. Throughout history, the people of God have kind of wondered, what's it going to be like when the king fully reigns? What's it going to be like when sin is no more? This is how Zechariah ends his book. It's one of the longer minor prophets. There are 14 chapters here. And if you remember when Zechariah began, it was a typical prophetic call to repent. You need to get right with God. Y'all need to return, repent, and get back to where you are trusting in the Lord. But as soon as he did that, remember, he gave those eight visions. You remember, I spent, I spent a week per vision, if you remember. We spent all of those weeks on those visions. Remember, there were the four horsemen, and they were patrolling the earth, and God was giving Zechariah these visions, assuring the people that God is going to bring his plan to pass. Now, let me remind you that the people of Israel had been sinful and disobedient to God. Therefore, God had sent a punishment on them, uh, another nation to come and capture them and take them over. They had been living in captivity and exile. Their, 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 Their main location, Jerusalem and the temple had been destroyed. They were full of uncertainty. They weren't sure of many things. Not only were they not sure uh, whether God loved them, but they weren't sure whether God could even keep his promises. They weren't sure if the promises would come to pass and therefore they didn't know what it was gonna be like moving forward. Well, Zechariah's visions are assuring the people of God, hey, I haven't forgotten. I'm doing what I said I would do. I'm bringing it to pass. I'm just doing it in my way, in my timing as I deal with you. Well, that's like the first half of the book. And then you get to the end of Zechariah and there are chapters 12, 13, and 14. And then after Zechariah, you got Malachi where the Old Testament ends setting us up for this long period before Jesus comes. Now, you and I know that God's answer to the whole world is God sending his son to die on the cross for us. We know that. And they understood that God was sending a savior, but they didn't know it in the fullest sense that we do. They knew that they needed a savior. They knew the only way for anybody to be right is for God to save outside of our own doing. And yet the Old Testament is bringing us to this. And so while the people are filled with uncertainty and they wonder, here we get to the end of Zechariah and Zechariah starts pointing us to that day. Now, as we approach the year 2000 as kids, I do say what I said just a few minutes ago. It was very anticlimactic. It was a big whoop de doo and it really seemed to not be that big of a deal. But the Word of God wants us to understand that day that we are all looking forward to, where God brings all to light, is as sure as sure can be. We are to trust it, We are to rest in it. We are to believe it and so shape our entire lives around it. And you will see that in the way that Zechariah ends his prophecy. Look with me, if you will, at Zechariah chapter 12. The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. I told you last week, starting in verse 9, that there's another oracle there. So the ending of the whole book are just these two big messages coming from God through Zechariah. And that's what we see here at chapter 12, starting at chapter 12, all the way through the end. Thus declares the Lord here's what God says who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold. I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. And then here's a particular phrase I want you to notice. On that day. Zechariah is ending his message with a message from God, where God is wanting us to set our attention to something forward and to not miss him. We are to be looking, we are to be expectant, we are to be wondering, and yet we are to be gripped by what this is. In these final three chapters, in this final oracle from God through Zechariah, this phrase on that day is found 17 times. That is quite a bit. You ever known somebody who talks about the same things over and over and over again? That's all they talk about? Well, at the end of Zechariah, God is talking about a particular day. Notice with me, chapter 12, 3 on that day, chapter 12, 4 on that day, chapter 12, 6 on that day, chapter 12, 8 on that day, chapter 12, 9 on that day, chapter 12, 11 on that day chapter 13:1 on that day chapter 13:2 on that day chapter 13:4 on that day chapter 14:4 on that day chapter 14:6 on that day chapter 14:8 on that day chapter 14:9 on that day chapter 14:13 on that day chapter 14:20 on that day the final words chapter 14:21 the very end of his prophecy on that day day. We think Zachariah's talking about here towards the end of his book, right? That day. Now, as you read these final three chapters and you start to study that day, you realize that this is a little bit more complicated than just one day There's a lot of work to do, there's a lot of study to do, and there's a lot that goes into it. And after all of that, in a couple weeks, and especially this week, I want to say to you that I am still no expert on it. I don't have any big, huge, grand answers about what exactly it is. But here's what I think. That day refers to, listen, the Lord establishing his kingdom. Okay? That day is referring to God establishing his kingdom. Now, you and I as believers in the king, the risen king, the king of kings, the king of the Jews, the king of all creation, right? As believers in the king, we bow our knee to the king. We behold our king. We know that Jesus Christ is the king of everything. We also understand that he's already kind of started his kingdom. We were taught by Jesus in his prayer, thy kingdom come is something we are to be praying, right? And so what we often talk about is that the kingdom of Christ is now and it is coming. It is both present and it is future. It is already and it is not yet. If you read the Bible, you see this quite a bit. The kingdom of God is now and it is coming. It is present and it is future. It is already and it is not yet. There are many things that you and I currently understand about the kingdom. If you remember, if you've read your Bible and you know the gospels in Matthew chapter 13, you have Jesus teaching and over and over again, he starts referring to the kingdom, right? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found. And in all his joy, he went and sold all that he owned so that he could buy that field, right? That's what the kingdom of heaven is like, and you and I understand that. You and I have come to understand that the kingdom of God is the most important thing. It is the best place to be. It is the most peaceful place to be. It is the most satisfying place to be where you and I are in position where the king of everything rules over us. We bow our knee. He gives the marching orders to us. We follow what he says. We want to live for the king because the king lives for us and gave himself for us and died for us, and we want to live for the King, And we understand the kingdom in that way. We understand that being a follower of Christ means that while we are still uh, in the struggle of sin, we know that sin and the devil cannot reign over us. It can affect us. He can tempt us. We can fall into sin, but we cannot be absolutely controlled by sin, for the spirit of God lives in us. And greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We know these things, and all of that is a kingdom kingdom mindset, it's a kingdom thinking. But at the same time, we also know that there are lots of longings, kingdom longings that we've not achieved yet. There is confusion, there is questioning, there is heartache, there is pain. There is the huge challenge of navigating this life here that we live today in a fallen world. You and I have struggles and questions that we deal with on a regular basis. I find myself over and over again saying to myself that life is so hard. I find myself in situations where I have to make huge decisions and I think this is so complicated. To make the decision to go this way means all of these things and make a decision to go this way means all of these things and there are layers of complexity to this life. This is a struggle and I'm ready for that to be over with. I'm ready for that to be gone. I'm ready for it to be past. I'm ready to be right there fully in the presence of God and his kingdom, where all of that has been cleared up. So we are in the kingdom, certainly, but the kingdom's still coming. Kingdom's present and yet it's future. It's already and it's not yet. And I've said all of that here today because I think. When Zechariah, God speaking through Zechariah, keeps saying on that day, on that day, he means in that day all of that. I think that what he means is When the kingdom's beginning, when the the kingdom's working, and when the kingdom is fully fulfilled and set up. And some of these things, he says, you can tell are clearly referring to something that's in the past from us. And some of these things you can tell are something that's coming, but all of it refers to the day or the period in which he is setting up his kingdom. Some of the things are very much so futuristic. They haven't happened yet. Some of the things have already happened. Some of the things are the result of what has happened, and so you can refer to it as when that happens. On that day is said here 17 times. So in that sense, you and I look at it knowing that we long for God's kingdom to be fully established. With that being said, you and I also know That when God speaks here, I'm about to do something on that day, he's clearly wanting us to look forward, right? But let's remember that you always read the Bible in context. You don't ever read the Bible first, what's this thing about me and where I live? You'll get it wrong most of the time if you do that, right? This was written, all right? This was written roughly 2,500 years ago, Zechariah was. Roughly 2,500 years ago. So what he's saying to them right there applies to us certainly, but it doesn't exactly say the same thing to them that it says to us. Now, it's only got one meaning, don't hear me wrong, but what I'm saying is when he says on that day, there's a lot that's happened in the last 25 years where he could have said it's about to happen and we could say it did happen. You understand? You have to read it in context. So, as God wants us to look forward to something, reading Zechariah, we can say, well, maybe that's already happened. But we've also read the New Testament in which we understand that God also now wants all believers looking forward to that day. So there is a very real sense that you and I here today, according to the word of God, are being called and questioned and challenged to look toward the final, the end, and so live in light of the king setting up his kingdom fully, where sin has been dealt with, sin has been overcome, removed, death has been dealt with, overcome, removed, and we enjoy living in the kingdom of God. So in light of all that, I want to give us three thoughts about how he ends it and on that day. Number one, the coming day, the day of the Lord, will be right, it will be right, it will be what should be. It will be proper, it will be good, it will be right. Notice back to how this oracle begins. It's the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, and then it says a few things. Who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. The Bible wants us to live our lives knowing that there is a God who made us. There's a God who made us. There's a God who made everything. That means something. That means that he's the creator and we're the creature, we're the creation. We are to live in light of that. There are places in the Bible where it describes him as the potter and we the clay. The Bible even says that the clay would never speak back to or talk back to or reject the one that made it. The one who made it is is the good one in charge doing good things with it. And yet we're reminded of this here. As he's about to start saying on that day, on that day, on that day, 17 times, he puts in place who he is, this big God, this powerful God, this God that's able to create. And in his creating, not only did he just create, but he created people with the spirit in them. Notice, formed the spirit of man within him. The Bible teaches us in the beginning that when God made people, he made man out of dirt, made the woman out of the man, and in doing that, he made us like God, in the likeness of God, in the image of God, maintaining within our creation, inside of us, is similarities to God. He wants us thinking about at this time, meaning that you and I are to live our lives back to God. We are to live our lives for God. We are lit to live our lives in subjection to God, in submission to God. And what is going to happen in this final day, in this last day, in this setting up of the kingdom is that you and I will know that. You and I will know this is right. All things good and true and proper will be in perspective. In this final day, you will say, that's right. You will say, he's right. You will say, that's true. You will say, he's true. You will say, that's the way it should be. This is the way it should be. Yes, that's the way that's supposed to be. That's the way it's supposed to be. All things will come into play and you will see them rightly. Isaiah another prophet the biggest it seems speaks to what this will do to the mindset of man on that day Isaiah 2:11 says the haughty looks of man will be brought low and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled and listen to this and on that day the Lord alone will be exalted Verse 17 says And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low. And on that day, the Lord alone will be exalted. Sounds like the same verse, doesn't it? That's Isaiah 2.11 and Isaiah 2.17. But Isaiah says on that day, in that day, at that moment, there will be a right perspective about us that says God deserves this. Attention! God deserves this worship. God deserves this affection, this love, this excitement. God is deserving of that. This should be more about God than it should be about me. And in that day, it will all be made right. The Bible teaches us that God is glorious. But in the struggle of sin in this life we live, we, we struggle to do that. There's a Bible verse in... The book of Daniel that some in my household have been memorizing recently. It's Daniel 4.37 and here's what it says. Those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. Daniel 4.37. Those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. And as we've kind of been talking and reasoning and thinking through that verse, as some of us in our home have been trying to memorize that, we've come to this conclusion That when you're prideful, you're trying to get attention that God should be getting. You're trying to get uh, people excited about you or looking at you or praising you or making a big big deal out of you when actually all of that type of stuff should be toward God. God is deserving of that sort of attention. He is the glorious one. We are not. And all Christianity, true Christianity, all true worship is when we are ascribing to him his worth, not ours. When we are living in a way where God is seen as big, awesome, glorious, satisfying, helpful, forgiving, saving, life-changing. And when you live like God is the main thing, he gets the glory. And what we're gonna see in that day is that you'll know that. Finally, officially, certainly. That is right. He is right. That's what's right. So if that's true, then you and I must be admitting that it's not all right here. And things are not right now. Now praise God in your lives to some extent, there are some things that are right. Perhaps you've been working really hard on being honest and keeping your word. And every time you do and you stick with it, whether it's a good consequence or a bad consequence, it's a picture of what is right. Perhaps you love your spouse so much and you are so faithful to him or her and you have eyes for no other. And in a real sense, that is a beautiful thing of truth and honesty and faithfulness. The Bible teaches us over and over again that God is faithful and so when you see a picture of faithfulness, you are able to say that is of God, that is right, that is the way it should be. But you don't need me to go very far in pointing out examples of all that's not right with our world today. And not only with our world today, but with our worlds today. My world, your world. My home. Your home. And so we're aware of, that's not right. Perhaps you've said before, that's not how it should be. Perhaps you're living right now with, I wish it wasn't this way. And to the degree that you're aware of, that's not right, you ought to be reminded and now looking from Zechariah to there's coming a day where it will all be right. The Bible promises us in the New Testament that Jesus is making all things new. You've heard that, right? Jesus is making all things new. What Zachariah is telling us is on that day, on that day, on that day, you will see it all right and good and true. Now, here's the scary thing. Here's the test Do you want things to be made right? Do you want things to be made right from God's perspective or just from yours? Do you want God to make all things right in your heart and your world with no regard perhaps to what that means for somebody else's right? Do you want God to make all things right and good and true and proper and new according to God's standard or just for yours? Are you okay if you get all the blessing but nobody else does? Because that's just right from your perspective. Zachariah, as we're about to see in a minute, is saying there's coming a day where God makes everything right, as it should be. The great truth about that is for those that love God through Christ, that's where our yes and amen comes through. It is our desire for God to do what He desires to do over and above what we desire to do. It is the true heart of the believer for God to do what's right over and above what that means for me. So, for the believers, a day coming where God makes all right is a glorious day. For the unbeliever, the notion. That God will turn on every light and uncover every stone and expose everything does not sound good. Where is your heart today as you hear Zechariah speaking to the day when all will be made right? It's a gauge for where we are. It's a gauge for where our heart is. That day, it will be right, good. Secondly, not only will it be right and put all in perspective properly, we will see God for who he is, the one who made us, the one who is about to do something, the one who rightly should be doing something. But here's the good thing, right? Number two, that day will be so good for those who believe. It will be the fulfillment, it will be the answer, it will be the what we are longing for. It will truly be so good. We're looking forward to that. Look in here at some of these where he mentions. Look down at chapter 12, verse eight. On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David. Remember, David is known as being this strong, godly, warrior king. David fights. David climbs walls. David kills giants, right? Now, we know more about David, but here, that's what it's referring to. And it's saying the weakest, the feeblest among Jerusalem will be like David. But in case you think that just being like David is the goal, no, it's not. Look what it says next. And the house of David, look at this, will be like God. What a promise, right? Imagine the people of God hearing on that day, the weakest of the saints will be like David and all of the people that are like David will be like God. Isn't there a desire in your heart? Or let me ask, is there a desire in your heart that you one day would finally and fully and rightly be like God? Aren't you ready for the struggles and the doubts and the discouragements to finally be gone? aren't you you ready for the insecurities and the lonelinesses and the the issues of pride and the struggles of lust to be over with? That day is coming. Zechariah wants us to set our eyes on that day. It will be good for those that believe. Some of you all remember this because I preached on it um, around Easter, but look here at verse 10 of chapter 12. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace, and please for mercy, so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, okay, so that's speaking of the crucifying of Jesus, they will mourn. So you have this passage of, this is a bad thing, that Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins, right, because he shouldn't have died. But now look down, and you remember this from when I preached on it before, but look at chapter 13, verse 1. In the same context of the crucifying of Christ, the piercing of Him, look at chapter 13 verse one. "On that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem." Look at this verse, 13:1: "To cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. A fountain opened that washes people of their sins." a fountain open that washes people of whatever it is that's making them dirty? There's a fountain like that? God has a fountain like that? Absolutely he does. And it is the blood of his son crucified on the cross. And on that day, you will know that with all certainty. But see, here's what I mean. We're looking back at that day. We know that the piercing of Christ has already happened. And so there's a real sense in which you you and I are saying, well, that day happened. It was the crucifying of Christ on Mount Calvary that day when God dealt with the sins of the world. But it will also be a day where you and I fully get that and no longer deal with the burden of sin, the conviction of sin, the guilt of sin. Now, through Christ now, you trusting in him, you can have the removal of sin. And that's what this is speaking to. There shall be a fountain opened and you can be cleansed from your sin. To any degree, if you are here today thinking, I hate my sins, I hate the the, the filthy parts of me, I hate the conviction and the guilt and the shame. If you're here today and you have not dipped yourself under this fountain, you have not trusted in Christ, then believe today. Ask God to wash away your sins and believe the word of God that there is a fountain that does that and the fountain being the work of Christ. Feel the goodness of knowing God is a loving savior that has provided a way for your sins to be dealt with. Feel that there is this awesome, refreshing feeling of God having a fountain that washes away sins. And since there is a fountain that washes away sins, then remind yourself how foolish it is to think you fixing yourself or cleaning yourself up or doing better is not that fountain. Jesus is work of Christ on the cross is, it will be so good for those who believe when that is fully final. It'll be so good. Look at this verse. Look at chapter 14, verse 9. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, look at this. The Lord will be one and his name won. Won't that be good? In your deep down heart, do you want that? Are you ready for God to be in his right place? Having dealt with everything properly? It's gonna be good when all that happens. It will be good for those who Believe. Is Christianity good to you? Has Christianity become to you things that you do that are a burden to you more than it has become to you trusting trusting in the promises of God? Because I want to remind us here today that it is good to know God. It is good to be loved by God. It is good to know that your sins are forgiven. It is good to know that God loves you not based off your performance or your obedience, but God loves you based off of Christ. God receives you upon your faith. It's a good thing. It's good to know that you have family, church family, brothers and sisters in Christ who know that and believe that. It's good to know that in all of these relationships, people are not holding you accountable to whether you're good or not, but we are holding each other accountable based off the love and mercy and forgiveness of God. Isn't it good to be a Christian? Isn't it good to rest in the laws and promises of God? Isn't it good to be free from your sins? And Zechariah speaks to how good this will be for Jerusalem. If you go back to where we started at chapter 12, verse 2, he's saying that to them. He says, behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding uh, peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day, I'll make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. What God is saying is that it will be good for his people in that day over and above what anybody else, what every other type of people is saying about God or against God's people. It will be good for them to be safe in the Lord. It'll be such a good thing. So it'll be right. It'll be so good for those who believe. But lastly, it'll be so bad for those who don't believe. And this is a rather long oracle, three chapters, you know, almost two pages, And he's saying a lot here. And some of what he's saying sounds awesome. I can't wait for that. And some of that he's saying in these chapters are like, oh my goodness, this is harsh. And I hope you are grown enough to understand that one event can be awesome for some people and horrible for others. It means that you've really got to think long and hard about whether that event's good, right? Because it means you don't weigh good and bad based off of how many people it's affecting. There are a lot of people in your world that will try to convince you that that's the way you decide things. That's not true. If something is good, it's good. If something is true, it's true. If something is right, it's right. And regardless of how many people it benefits or how many people it hurts, should not change whether it is good or right or true. And What we have going on at the end of Zechariah, but in the whole message of the Bible, is that in this one saving message that God will forgive any human being of their sins. He will provide a fountain that will cleanse them from everything. He will save them and give them newness of life. He will give them eternal life where they will live with God safely forever in heaven. That is free and available to anybody, everybody, everywhere. If you are here today, you can escape death and enter in to life you can be on your way to heaven you can become a child of God you can be in his family and that is sure as sure can be money in the bank but if you don't believe there's a lot more that needs to be said If you don't want to believe, that means you are now rejecting God. You're not accepting his offer. You have turned your back on him. It means that you in your sins against God are okay to stay there. You don't think it's really that bad. You don't think it offends him. You don't think it's a problem. And God is warning that there's coming a day where it will be a problem. More so than it even is a problem right now. And it is possible for this one thing that day, the return of Christ, the judgment of the world, the end of the world, whatever it's speaking to, it is possible for that one thing to be the best thing for these people and the worst thing for these people. I can name a million buzzer beaters where one side of the gym jumped and the other side hung their head. 2016 in the final four in the national championship game, Marcus Page hit a circuit shot with four seconds left to tie the game. North Carolina's about to win the national championship in 2016. Villanova threw the ball in and the guy Chris Jenkins shoots a shot from nearly half court and makes it as the buzzer goes off and North Carolina loses. I let my kids stay up that night on a school night till about 11.30 to watch that game. And it was four seconds away from being totally worth it. They about won the championship in 2016. And were it not for a buzzer beater with four seconds left and actually a shot that went through the net with no time on the clock, North Carolina would have won. And while Villanova thinks that was the best thing ever. North Carolina fans hate that. And so to do damage to my fanhood, I use that example. We could have used many other examples, right? We can think of U of L games or UK games where the final shot sent this people so happy and sent this people or these people upset. That's small scale, right? We all get over it. It's not going to be that way with God. So much so that 17 times, And just one of his prophets final message on that day, on that day, on that day. Perhaps you can remember the words of Christ now when he starts speaking to what it's going to be like on that day. And do you remember in the gospel of Matthew when, when Jesus says on that day they will run to the hills? They will try to hide from God as he returns back. The Bible says, listen to this, that God is returning one day to gather up all of his sheep and to take them with him and we will be eagerly waiting for him. And the Bible says that when God in his loving fatherhood comes back to save us, that there will be people scared to death and running from him. The Bible says that they will crawl into caves and mountains and they will ask the caves to collapse on them. So not to see God. How can the thing that we are setting our whole lives up about, the very love of God, the very reason we're here today, that we might remind ourselves of the great love of God. How can that good thing be such a horrible thing to this other group of people? That sort of thinking and questioning is what has our world in such a mess today. And they don't think rightly about it. Truth has not informed them on it. So they're just starting to throw the whole thing out. Well, there's no way that this good thing that you call Christianity can be bad for this here. And listen, that's not true. And all of you have people in your workplace and friends and you have family who are saying those sort of things. Well, I used to think it was pretty good, but it can't be good now, it can't be right now, it can't be true now if what you think's good for you is not good for them. That's not true. Don't let people talk to you like that. Don't let people teach you like that. It is true. For the great love of God to be good for everybody who wants it, and at one point, when they reject it, God ultimately comes back and says, you've rejected me long enough, and now I have rejected you. That is going to happen. And call us old-fashioned, stuck in the woods, call us conservative, traditional, call us whatever, it is the truth. It'll save your soul. It'll be good for you to believe. But for those who do not believe, it will be so bad. And so Zechariah is warning on that day, on that day, on that day. He's asking us, are you ready for that? Matt read that passage from Hebrews 10. It speaks to, if we keep living in our sins, it'll be a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The Bible warns, even in the New Testament, the Bible warns, will you continue to live your life as if you're not going to meet God one day? The Bible's calling us to say, I want to. At another spot in the book of Hebrews, it says that when Christ comes back, that will be his second coming, his first coming was Christmas, born as a virgin, or born from the virgin, born as a baby, that when he comes back the next time, the Bible says he's not coming to deal with sins because when he came the first time, he dealt with sins. So when he comes back, he's coming to get those who are ready for him, and it says this, He's coming to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And yet you and I know that there are people who are ready for Christ to be fully in the kingdom of the king. And Zechariah says, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And yet you and I know that there's a whole world of people who are not ready for that day. They don't even believe in that day. They don't take that day seriously. They, they, they read Zechariah and they hear him say it 17 times. They think, yeah, but it must not be true. This book must not be believable. Zechariah must have been too long ago or he didn't know what he was talking about or God didn't give him that message. And yet they think that on that day it's not real. Let me remind you that he already spoke to the piercing. It happened. He already spoke to the triumphal entry. It happened. He already spoke to the virgin birth. It happened. He already spoke to the crucifixion. It happened. All of the prophecies have come to be, except for the one of on that day that you and I wait for. And the skepticism and doubt and unbelief of the world says, well, the longer it keeps going on, the more and more it must not be true. Unless, listen to me, God waits so that more will believe. Perhaps the heart of God is that none should perish. And another day means another soul that would come to Christ. Perhaps you and I want him to come back today, perhaps right now, August the 11th, so that all of our suffering would be gone and we would be with him and we'd see the king rightly, like my first point says. Perhaps God carrying on another year, 2020, would allow for that many more people to get in and not miss it. So perhaps God's working and pointing us to that day is moving us toward this urgency to not miss that and yet to live with that, that Christ really is the savior of the world and there is coming a day where you will receive him and get that fully or you will have missed it. When I got to college and God started really working in my heart, started going on as many mission trips as I could and I wanted Bigger and better, and so in 2002, I signed up to go on a backpacking trip through Ethiopia. It was a pretty expensive trip. It was going to be a hard trip. They told us that we had to train quite a bit to be able to go on this trip. We were going to like this unreached village. There was no Christian work there. There's no Bible there. There was no effort there. Nothing. They wanted us to see what it was like and be able to tell them all about it. I was pumped. I'd been working out. I was trying to get in shape. I knew it was gonna be hard. We were doing all of that sort of stuff, right? And we were set to go on August the 3rd of 2002. And back in that day, it didn't all happen online, so we like had our tickets, and another guy going with my group had our tickets. We did car washes. We sold donuts. We wrote letters. We did everything we could to make this trip happen. I wanted to go and see what it was like to be in a part of the world in Africa where nobody had ever heard of Jesus before. Parents took me to the airport that morning, August third, two thousand and two, and we handed our tickets to the counter. And you know what they said? This trip left yesterday. Your ticket says August second, two thousand two. Thirty-five hundred dollar trip that left on August second of two thousand two, and I showed up there, gung ho, backpack on everything, August third of two thousand two. I hate to tell you, but you missed this one. You don't know what it felt like? You know how dumb we felt? You don't know how concerned we were? If God keeps saying, there's coming a day, and you aren't ready for it, You're not taking God serious. There is coming a day. His final message through Zechariah. On that day, on that day, on that day. I'm going to be the king of everything. I will set up my kingdom. And those who accepted my love and forgiveness will love it. But those who have rejected it will be wrong. They will have missed it. Young or old, new or seasoned, don't miss it. Trust in Christ, follow him, believe. If you're here today and you've never done it or you're not doing it, do it now. Be the man or woman that is willing to step up in the awkwardness, meet me right here and say, I wanna know Jesus, I want to know Christ. I want to be saved. I need to be baptized. I want to be a part of a church. I hear him loud and clear on that day. And when God sets up his kingdom, make one thing sure, I'll be in it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Zechariah's message, the eight visions early on, and the strong urgency now. God, thank you that you are taking a long time with this. It's not really the way we'd have done it. We're a little impatient. But you're working. Father, I pray that we would not miss that day. That we would look forward to that day. That we would know that it will make all things right. It'll be good for those that believe and it'll be bad for those who don't. Oh, Father, thank you for Jesus, the Savior of sinners. In his name we pray, amen. Amen.